one of the truly great storytellers that I've been very honoured to know and to work with in the past is Audrey Parks from Ireland. And not only is she a wonderful storyteller, but she has produced a two-CD collection of stories called uh, On the Tip of My Tongue. Now, I really recommend that you look that out because it's a really special piece of storytelling. Many stories on it. And this is my favourite story from that collection. It's called Choney Freel. Now, in the wee village of Fanet in Donegal, there lived a widow woman called Mrs. Freel. And she had a son called Chamey. And Chamey was a hard-working young man. And every Saturday night he would take his money that he'd earned during the week and he would pour it all into his mother's lap. He always gave her all the money he earned. And the neighbours used to say, Oh, she's a lucky woman, that Mrs. Freel, having a boy like that. Yeah, she doesn't know how lucky she is, having a son like Jamie. Well, it came to be Halloween. And that night, Jamie took his cap and his jacket, and he said to his mother, Well, mother, I'm away off up to the old ruined castle. Now, you see, on a hill just above the village, there was an old ruined castle, but nobody liked to go near it, because sometimes they would see lights on in there, and it was thought that that was where the fairies gathered. And at Halloween, like May Day, was a time when the fairies liked to revel, liked to dance. "'You're not serious,' said his mother. "'You're not going up to the old castle, are you?' "'I am that, mother.' "'Why on earth would you do such a thing?' "'Well, you never know. I might make my fortune.' "'Or you might meet your death,' she said. "'Oh, don't go, Jamie. Don't be a fool. "'Oh, you'll be killed, and then who'll look after me?' "'Ach, never you mind, mother,' he says. "'I'll be fine, and I'll be back again safe and sound. "'Just you wait and see.' "'Well, he went up the road. "'As he passed the hooses in the village, "'they were all locked tight. "'locked tight.' with the shutters closed and such like it was all everything was quiet and dead because that was the night when the fairies would be out and witches would ride through the air and all sorts of queer creatures would be around and people were staying at home but Jamie walked up the road whistling casually to himself now when he came up nearer to the castle he could hear the sound of music playing and laughter and singing from inside, and there was lights glittering at the old windows. Now he went up to one of these old windows. <clears throat> of course, not a pane of glass in it, just an open hole. And he went up there, and he looked through the window, and there he seen all the fairy folk, and they were all dancing and drinking and celebrating away, and they were playing music, and they were singing, and, oh, they were having a merry old time of it. 
and Jamie got so carried away with the whole thing that he leaned in at the window, and they seen him. And they said, Welcome, Jamie Freel. Come in and join the party. Well, I don't mind if I do, he said, and he climbed through the window and in among the fairy folk. Well, he drank their ale and he ate their food and he laughed with them as well and he told them stories and he sang and oh, it was just a wonderful night and they thought he was the life and soul of the party. Now, it was getting to be near midnight and Jamie thought, this is a time that you have to be careful on a Halloween. I maybe should be going, because who knows what could happen now. But one of the fairies says to him, Would you like to come with us? We're going on a wee journey, Jamie. Oh, where are you going? Why, we're off to Dublin. Dublin, he said. <gasps> He'd never been to Dublin, but it sounded so exciting. A big city like that? <gasps> well... <clears throat> Yes, he certainly would like to go. So there was a whole troop of white horses arrived outside the castle, and all the fairies clambered on one, and Jamie got on one himself. And they trotted off down the road towards the village. But then the magic started, because they didn't trot on the road anymore. They were trotting up through the air. And they flew over the village where he lived, and Jamie Freel could look down, right down the chimney of his own home, where his mother would be sitting, worrying about him. And then they were off, and they rushed through the air, and you know, they went all over Ireland. And as the one at the lead was going, he would shout out all the place names as they passed underneath him. And then, eventually, it was Dublin. And down they all landed, in St. Stephen's Green. Well, there was a row of houses there, the rich people's houses. And the fairies went over to one in particular. And some of the fairies, they made themselves as small and light as thistledown. And they drifted up to a window, and the window lifted magically, and in they went into a room, and there was a beautiful young lady lying asleep in the bed. Well, gently they picked up the young lady, and in her place they left a stick, just a stick of wood. But you know the fairies, they can work mad, powerful magic. And this stick was magically transformed into the image of the young lady that they had in their arms. And they gently carried her through the window, and then they closed the window again and down to the horses. And then they set off back up through the air again, carrying this young lady with them. Every fairy held her in their arms. Small though they were, but powerful and magic. Now, as they were flying back, they were saying all the place names as it passed beneath them, and they were also passing the young girl around from one fairy to another, 
Probably they were getting a bit tired with carrying her. And she was passed from one ferry to the next, and when Jamie heard the sound of place names being recited that was near to his home, he turned around to the ferry that was carrying the young lady, and he said, "'Can I have a turn at carrying her? Everybody else has had a turn except me.' "'Why, I don't see the problem with that, Jamie.' And the young lady was handed over to him, and there he had her in his arms. Now he looked down at her. She was in a bewitched state. She was sort of between sleeping and waking. And he looked down at her, and, oh, she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his life. And he felt sorry for her, being carried away by the fairies, going to live in their realm and never seeing home again. And he decided that he could not let this young lady suffer a fate like that. And so, when the name of the village, when Fanet was recited by the fairy that was leading them, Jamie Freel dug his knees into his horse's side, and it went down in a straight line, down straight towards his mother's cottage. Now the other fairies, seeing this, they were outraged, and they set off after him, shouting, Jamie Freel, is this the way you treat us after all our kindness to you? And they landed on the ground just outside his door, and he jumped off the horse, and he rushed to the door with her. But as he did that, he saw that there was like dust over her face, and he opened the door, and he ran in, and he slammed it behind him. And there he was, his mother dumbfounded. He was back home, and he said, Here, mother, I've brought a young lady back with me. What on earth are you doing with a young lady? Why should we be, why would she be wanting to be staying with us? A young lady like that. Shush, mother, hush, he said. And he listened to what the fairies were saying outside. They were talking outside the door, and they were angry. Johnny Freel had robbed them of this young lady that they had stolen. <clears throat> well, he heard one of the fairies saying, Ah, never mind, he'll have no good of her, because I have taken her voice from her. So, after that, there was no more sounds from the fairies. They had gone back up to the castle, or wherever they had gone. Now, Jamie sat the girl down by the fire, and she wept. And she wept, and she wept, and she wept, like her heart was breaking. And, of course, no matter how many questions they plied to her, there was not one word past her lips. She could not speak. Now, Jamie's mother was a bit annoyed about that. What are we going to do with her? Well, she has to stay with us, said Jamie. She's a poor girl and long way away from home. Well, we can't afford to feed another mouth, said his mother. 
I will take another job, said Jamie. Don't you worry, I will provide food for all of us. And he was as good as his word. He was a hard-working young man, and he did take a second job, and he made more money. And the neighbours all nodded and said, That Jamie Freel, what a great son he is, what a hard-working young man. Well, the girl just kept on crying. Days passed, and still she cried. The mother would put food in front of her, and she would eat. But then she would just start crying again. Not one word from her, and always crying. And the mother was getting fed up with this. Jamie, she's saying, this young creature here, she's going to be the ruin of us. I mean, she's not doing anything. She's just sitting here, crying the whole time. It's it's distressing. It takes the heart from you listening to her. Well, never you mind about her, said Jamie. She'll be fine. And sure enough, one day, after a quite a while had passed, the girl was still crying away, and the mother had given her a bowl of porridge in the morning, and she ate it. And then when she'd finished eating it, she stopped crying. And she got up from the side of the fire, and she walked over to the sink, and she washed the dish. And then she took a bucket of swill from under the sink, and she went out and she fed the pigs. Well, thought the mother, I always told you, mother, said Jamie, she'll be a help to you yet, and a comfort to you, even if she cannot speak. Well, sure enough, the young lady worked around the house, and she was bright as a button, and Jamie and her, well, they were inseparable, and Jamie would sit, and he would tell her stories, and she would be laughing away if she could make a noise, but she couldn't have, but you knew that what she was doing, she was happy, and he was always full of stories for her, and she looked at him with beautiful big eyes, and, ach, oh, you could tell that there was a flicker of love in there. Now, a year went by, and it was Halloween again, and Jamie Freel went over to the back of the door with his jacket, and his hat was hanging, and he took them off the peg, and he put his hat on his head, and he put his jacket on, and he said, Well, mother, I'm away back up to the castle tonight. What? Are you mad? She said. Are you out of your mind? Has what little wit you've got left, you boy? You can't go up to the castle tonight. Why, the fairies will rip you to shreds. They'll kill you for what you did to them last year. Never you worry about me. I'll be fine. I'll be home to you before long. Well, the mother begged and pleaded with him not to go up to that castle, but he said, never you mind. I'll be fine. And off he went, up the street, whistling away cheerfully to himself. Now, when he got up to the castle, he was quiet. He was cautious. And he went back to the same window, and he listened. Now, this time he kept back into the shadows. He didn't lean into the window like he'd done the year before. He just stood outside, and he listened to hear what they were saying, and if there was anything that could be useful to him. And sure enough, he heard a fairy saying, Ha, ha, ha! 
Do you remember last year when Jamie Freel played that dirty trick on us, carrying off that young woman that we'd carried off? What a cheek! Yes, said another, but if only Jamie Freel knew. <laughs> you see, I took her voice, and he'll have no good of that young lady. But if only Jamie Freel knew that if that young lady had just three drops of wine from this glass of wine I have in me hand here, the speech would be back to her just as though it had never been away. Well, when Jamie heard that, he lurched through the window, and he snatched the glass of wine from the hand of the fairy that spoke, and he turned around and he ran down the road back to his house, now the fairies were outraged. It's Jamie Freel again. It's Jamie Freel, that trickster. Get him, boys. And they all set off after Jamie Freel. And Jamie's running down the road as fast as he can. And all the hordes of fairies are after him. And they're all screaming and screeching and swearing blue vengeance on him. Well... He's running down, and the wine is spilling from his glass. He's trying to keep his hand over the top of it to stop it from spilling. But in his hurry, I mean, it's not easy to do such a thing. And knowing that if the fairies caught him, that would be the finish of him, they would tear him to shreds. But he was managed just to get there just before them. He could feel them right behind him. He could start to feel little fingers touching his clothes, trying to get a hold of him. But he was able to open the door and get into his own cottage safe and sound, and the fairies couldn't get in. He barred the door, and that was it. Well, he went over to the young woman, and he said, Here, drink this. And he had just about three drops left in the bottom of that glass three drops of that wine, and he carefully tipped it up into her mouth, and she drank it, and she said, Thank you, Jamie. She spoke. Oh, lords be praised, he said. There you go, you're talking. Yes, I can talk. I have so many questions to ask you. And so they sat up all night, Jamie and the girl, just talking away. She told them her name was Gronia, and that her father was a rich merchant in the city of Dublin, and that she really wanted to go home and see them. Well, I can't afford to hire a, a carriage and horses to take you to Dublin, said Jamie. We don't have the money for that. I'll tell you what you should do. You should write them a letter and tell them that you're safe and well. And so she wrote a letter to her parents, and it was posted, and that was the last they heard of it. No reply came. Well, time passed, and the young lady said, I must go to Dublin. I have to go and see my parents. Well, we can't afford to get a carriage and horses to take you there, he said, so... Maybe try and write another letter, Gronia. I mean, maybe the letter went missing or got lost or something like that. 
So again she wrote another letter to her parents, and she sent it, and there was no reply came. And after a while she said, Jamie, I have to go to Dublin. But we don't have the money for a carriage to take you there. Well, I must go, she says, even if I have to walk, and I'm going to set off today, and I'm going to walk to Dublin. Well, says Jamie, if you're walking to Dublin, then I will be walking alongside you. I'm coming with you. And his mother said, Oh, you can't do that, Jamie. You can't go and leave me. I mean, who'll look after me when you're both away? Oh, don't worry, mother. He says, I'll look after you. I'll take care of you. All right, dinner, you worry. And so the two of them set off on a long, long walk to Dublin. And they walked and they walked, and I'm sure they had plenty of adventures along the way, but they don't belong in this story. But eventually they were walking out St. Stephen's Green, and there in front of them was the house that Jamie recognized as being Gronje's home, where she was taken away by the fairies. And she was so excited, she ran up to the door and she knocked on the door, and... The butler opened the door and looked at her and said, Good day, young lady. What may I do for you? Oh, don't you recognize me, she says. I, I'm the, the daughter of the master of the house, and I've come to see my father. I don't know who you are, said the butler, but you are certainly not the daughter of the master of this house. But I am, she said, I am. Don't you recognize me? There is a similarity, he said, but I saw my master laying his daughter in her coffin and carrying her down to the graveyard and lowering her into the earth myself with my own two eyes. The master's daughter is dead, and I don't know who you are, but you cannot be her. Oh, please go and get the master, she said. He'll recognize me. I can do no such thing, said the butler. Oh, please, she said, please go and get him. And she begged and she pleaded with such earnestness and the tears in her eyes that the heart of the old butler was moved, and he did go and get the master of the house. And he came down and he said, Yes, what can I do for you, young lady? Father, don't you recognize me? I, I don't, he said. It's me, Gronje. It's your daughter. Your wee girl, I'm come home. I've come home. Well, the man's face went stony, and he said, You do bear a resemblance to my daughter, but I laid her in her coffin with my own hands, and I wept many bitter tears, and I carried her coffin down to the grave myself and put it into her grave, and I came home here, and I just, I, you know, I wish that I could have gone into that grave instead of her. I wish I could have joined her in that grave. It broke my heart to lose my daughter. So don't tell me 
that you are my daughter, because that is no way that that can be possible. Father, please go and get mother, she said. I will do no such thing, he said. Look, I can prove I'm your daughter. Look here. And she slipped the ring off her finger, a lovely golden ring, and she handed it to the man, to her father. And she said, Look, father, don't you recognize that ring? Look inside it. It's got my initials and your initials in it. You gave it to me on my sixteenth birthday. Don't you remember? That certainly is my daughter's ring, he said, but I don't know how you got it. Oh, please, please go and get my mother. She'll know me. Well, after she pleaded and begged for a while, the mad finally agreed to go and get his wife. And he came back with Gronje's mother. And Gronje's mother looked at her with the tears in her eyes. Who are you? she said. I'm Gronje. I'm your daughter. I've come home. I've come back to you. That cannot be. We saw her on when we went up to her room. She was lying dead in the bed. We don't know what took her. She was fine the night before. But I saw her body in the coffin. I saw her buried. You can't be her. Mother, do you remember? I had a li I have a little mole behind my right ear. Don't you remember that? Well, yes. Well, look, she said, and she turned around and moved her hair away and, and bent her ear forward, and there was the little mole. You certainly do have a mole in the place that my daughter did, but you cannot be her. She's dead and buried. I saw her myself. And then Chemi stepped forward. He thought it was time that he told them the whole truth. And so he told them the whole story of how he had been at the old castle at Fanet, and how he had ridden to Dublin with the fairies, and he had seen them carrying her from the window of her bedroom and carrying her off, and how he had saved her, rescued her from the fairies, and that they had left a stalk in their place that was bewitched to look like her, but it wasn't her, it was just a piece of wood. And then when they heard the whole story, the mother burst into tears, and she hugged her daughter, and her daughter wept as well, wept for sorrow from their broken-hearted mother and wept for joy to be back in the arms of her own dear mother again. And her father wept too, and they all hugged, and even Jamie had a tear or two in his eyes as well. It was such a lovely sight. The butler even sniffed in the background too. It was a very moving, very touching sight indeed. So they were brought in, and they told them the whole story of their long walk all the way from Fanet all the way to Dublin. Well, time passed, and, you know, Jamie's conscience started to prick him, because he had promised his mother that he would be back soon and take care of her. And so one day he said, 
Well, I'm sorry, people, but I have to go home and take care of my mother. I promised her that I would be back, and I, I can't go back on my word. I can't break my promise. And Gronje's father said, Oh, there is no way that we can allow you to do that. I would like to go back with him too, said Gronje. I'm not only indebted to Jamie here, but I love him too. And where he goes, I go. Oh, well, that's out of the question, then, said the father. Oh, well, that settles it. There is no way I am letting you out of my sight. I lost you once. I will not lose you again, my darling. I will not do that for any money. But I'll tell you what we will do, Jamie, my boy. We will send a horse and carriage right away down to Fanet, and we will pick up your mother and bring her here, and she can live with us. And you and Gronje will be married, and we'll all live here happily together. Sure, it's a big enough house. It can hold all of us easy enough with plenty of room to spare. And so they did. The carriage was sent, and Jamie Friel's mother, much to her amazement, was told that she was to go and live in a fine house in Dublin. Well, she gathered together her few belongings, and her neighbours were all outside, and she was telling them how Johnny was marrying this, eh, Jamie was marrying this beautiful lady from Dublin that he'd rescued from the fairies. And they all said, as the carriage rolled away, taking Mrs. Freel with it, they said, That Jamie Freel, what a good son he is. My Mrs. Freel could not have had a better son if she had tried. Well, Mrs. Freel arrived in Dublin, and she was made a great fuss of and taken into the house. And sure enough, she was well looked after and dressed in the finest clothes, and Jamie went into the business with his father-in-law. Him and Gronje were married, a great wedding it was too, and they worked together, and the business went from strength to strength, and after Gronje's father died, then Jamie inherited the business, because Gronje was his only child and he inherited the house as well, and they all lived together happily for the rest of their days. <laughs>